Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now, here are three guys who put the fine... In fine woodworking, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk, show number 477 for July 15th, 2020. On today's show, we're talking about making and fixing finishing mistakes. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. Head over to rockler.com and check out their big annual garage sale, which includes all of the tools and accessories you need for your shop. Stop by one of Rockler's 37 retail stores and check out the in-store deals, in-store only deals this month, including a floor model sale on power tools, in-store clearance, and up to uh, 50% off on, what is it, select overstock lumber. Well, they have slabs there? I didn't know that. It's been a long time since I've uh, been to my local store. I should go check it out. Uh, They also have a lot of turning blanks and things you could check out. So the annual garage sale runs from July 3rd to July 30th, and don't miss it. I like that. Yeah. That's kind of fun. You know, cleaning up the old stuff, getting some new stuff. That's right. You know what? That means if they're making room for new stuff, there's new stuff coming in. Oh, boy. Yeah. Guess who's going to be there August 1st? Check out that new stuff. Are you the new stuff that's coming in? I should be. (laughs) One of the new things? Okay. I just figure, you figure they're getting rid of the old stuff. That's like, ah, who cares about that? There's got to be some good stuff coming in. That's right. That they need to get space for, you know? Yep, that's that, right. That's how I read this. Sure. You know what sucks? Power tools don't change much, though. You know? It's not like car models where they, you know, change the body style or something like that. Like, what, what's going to change? What can you change? Like, unless you're Festool, everything kind of looks the same. Yeah, and so far, so far that stopped people from buying them. <laughs> You know, right. all those people are like, no, I don't want a new, you know, t- 2020 version of the car that I just bought two years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly the same. Or, you know, Powermatic just keeps pushing out tools and people keep buying it because it's the 2021 model. No, they don't. That's silly. I, I mean, you know what? I'm glad that they don't like power tools don't run like phones, let's say. Oh, geez. you know what I mean? Like the new model, the S model of the phone. It's exactly what? the same as the other they, one. Plus they break after or, a year. Yeah. Like one or two things. Exactly. It either breaks or they, they try to invent reasons for you to upgrade. Thankfully, I don't, I don't really see that these companies are doing that very much. I don't want them to. I think we're fine the way it is. On some of a funny note, as we're talking about phones and power tools and people complain about how much, how much a domino costs, my cell phone costs more than the domino. That's no. a great point, man. Yeah, that's Isn't that point. crazy? Jeez. Yeah. Who yeah. A lot of people who have phones like this. They don't think they think nothing phones. of spending a grand on a phone, but a tool that can speed up your workflow and is you know and unique. Maybe is, even make you money. Is a reach. 
Yes, and actually making money. Right. Good point. I don't know. Anyway. Good point, Matt. I don't know. (laughs) My phone makes me money, folks. I mean, all all that social influencing. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anywho. Yeah. uh, It's time for Matt's Patreon message. Yeah. So buckle in. Let's just do this. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. This week, we'd like to thank Lee Oman, Gary Kochi, and Hogan Spach. Spach. You got some good Spach. ones this week, man. Spach. <laughs> Very ethnic names going on there. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. All right. But we haven't done a what's <laughs> you on the make in a while, even if they're not. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They could have been, they could all read Smith and they would have sounded the same way. <laughs> all right. So it's been a while since we've done a little uh, what's on the bench. So I'm sure maybe, oops, multiple things may have happened since the last time we discussed it. Uh, for me, I think the biggest thing going on right now is the sandbox. So Ava's been bugging us for a sandbox and I know these things are awful. And like anyone who's owned one, (laughs) anyone who's owned one, you know, for your, your kids, they bring the sand in the house. It gets all over the place. If you don't cover it properly, you can get like little creepy crawlies in there and the sand can get all nasty and neighborhood cats can like pee and poo in there. So it's a thing. I'm pretty sure I'm going to destroy this thing within a year or two. But I'm making it anyway because I just want to see like her face light up for that first time she sees it. And then after that point. You're a good dad. You're a good dad for like that that year. It's (laughs) wasteful though, you know, because at a certain point I know this thing is going to be torn down and end up in a uh, a bonfire. So (laughs) Hopefully she like is disinterested in it by then. Otherwise you're going to ruin her day. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's true. If she, if she was still using it, <laughs> well, I mean, sorry, honey, it's been a year. It could be a life it. lesson. That was a, a deal we made. Life lesson, yeah. you know? I told you I was going to destroy this thing. So happy sandiversary up in flames. Yeah. So it's interesting though. I am toying with some ideas for convenience. I, I wanted to have a lid, but I would like also uh, sun coverage. The uh, sun here in Denver is brutal. And uh, if the kids out there like midday, I would like there to be some built-in uh, sunshade. So the lid is going to raise up via a wench system. <laughs> I, I'm saying this theoretically because I haven't actually made it happen yet. Uh, so I wanted to raise up with a winch, lock in place, and then it uh, can easily set down and keep it covered, keep it uh, you know watertight for the most part, and keep those little creepy crawlies out of there. So we'll see. I hear it's a whole hassle though, you know, like keeping the sand clean. And, you know, after a couple of years, you, I don't know whether you disinfect the sand or you just replace it. it I, I got to do some, I, I, some research. I feel like you would just dump it and right. buy new sand. Start, start over, right? Yeah. Based probably. on like the cost of sand. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think it's going to be something somewhere in the ballpark of like a thousand pounds of sand. Yeah. Wow. Really? It's pretty good. It's a good amount of sand. <laughs> so, yeah. so we'll see about that. Uh, the only other thing is uh, officially, I probably mentioned this in previous shows that um, my shop helper slash brother-in-law, Jason was moving back to Missouri and he has since uh, completed his move and is happily doing whatever you do in Missouri. And we are uh, <laughs> in the process of hiring someone else and, and get this. I got off so easy on, on this hiring thing I was expecting to go into this whole hiring process, get an application going, like an online app. Then Nicole and I are going to read through however many applications we get, trying to narrow it down. That is a process, right? And I I said to Nicole, I'm like, I hope someone, even though I've told people do not contact me yet, I'm not ready. 
I am hoping someone will go, Hey Mark, we met at a meetup here in Denver, blah, blah, blah. I know you said you're not ready, but if, uh, I'd like to throw my name into the, into the, uh, into the running for when you are ready. And I look at them and I go, Hey, this person looks capable. They seem pretty nice. Let's just go with that person. Well, that's exactly what happened. So, nice. <laughs> so I found someone who, who seems like a, 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 a good dude. He's a family man and uh, knows a little, little bit about woodworking and is someone who could really help me get things moving forward here. So <clears throat> that person will be starting in late July and, uh, and, and needs a pretty part-time schedule initially that works for me, you know, so it's all kind of adding up and uh, the stars aligned and, and we're going to get first first job shot. will be disinfecting sand. That's right. Yeah. Sand <laughs> duty. Sift out the the, the, Get the crap. Scooper. <laughs> Could you go empty the litter box? Oh, I didn't know you have a cat. No, I don't. So it's for the kids. It's just a giant litter box in the backyard. <laughs> when we're done with that, I want you to construct a hardwood dome because now Ava wants to keep playing while the lid is down. So <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting. So I'm just glad to have somebody back in the shop to help me. Uh, keep up the pace that we set last year. It was a, it was hectic with a lot of things going on, but it was very enjoyable. The sense of like being able to complete that many projects. It was very satisfying. I'd like to get there again. All right. So Matt, what do you got going on? <laughs> I don't know. Should I read what you wrote for me in, this, <laughs> in the notes? Or? I don't think that that, it, it, I mean, that's family friendly. Go ahead read it. I think you have to now. It says, uh, I have been caressing my sweet nips. Well, that's what you do. Sometimes, right? That's, that's what happens when you don't fill in the blanks in the show notes, Matt. You should know this yeah, by now. If you don't fill out your part, someone else is going to fill it in for you. I just like, do we really even need to fill it out? Like, no. do you need to know what I'm going to say? It's, do I need to know what you're going to talk about? It's tradition. Yes, because I have to do the show notes in WordPress in like a week, and I won't remember right. what we said. Yeah, it's actually for later. So, All right, you know what? If it's for Shannon... Oh, in that case. Okay. Just They're because not, you don't do anything for the show, Matt, doesn't mean the rest of us don't have chores. Hey, hey, I show up. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. a, like a rock star. I'm here. <laughs> it's the least and you Usually, can do. my mic works. Oh, usually. oh, there we go. It hurts, Shannon. Oh, wow. He's hitting you where it hurts. Wow. <laughs> well, look, the, the very least you can do for the show oh, is show up, and you do that. So that's true. we're good. Hey, that's I, true. We appreciate that. I butcher that. names on a weekly basis. That's, that's what I do. That's my contribution. All right, sweet nips. What do you got going on? Ah, <laughs> oh, so I have a few things going on, actually. So... I want to touch on a couple of things. I got Nipples. two product launches. And yes, actually, yes, a pair of things. They happen to be nips and they happen to be mine. I want to touch and on they them. They happen to be sweet. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I don't even know why. <laughs> like when I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I want to do wood talk today. I'm like, why do I even bother with this? Yeah, what, guys? What's the point? What's the, it's like, I'm just here for comedic relief. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about anything I have to say. Well, you're also, you have the right name, so we're good. Only historically. <laughs> yeah. And the more time <laughs> passes, the less people are going to understand that. Yeah, maybe. Everybody remembers Vanderlust. Come on. Okay. Anyway, let's, let's, come, let's, let's move on with the show. <laughs> we'll, we'll invite him back every five years just to make sure that he stays yeah. fresh in the, in the consciousness. Yeah. Hot, <laughs> hot and fresh. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, and so I just um, okay. So yeah, wow, I'm all frazzled now. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's nice. Um, so I just finished up the launch for my chair kits, which went uh, surprisingly well. I'm really, really happy that 
That was such a well-received concept and idea. And um, when did that close? Like a week ago? Hmm. Yeah, about a week now. So I did like a little pre-order kickoff kind of thing. So that's going to be the first batch of orders. And then once those come in and are shipped, I'll open the orders back up and have like, you know, continuous inventory kind of thing. So there's no wait period, which I'm excited for. It's just, it's cool that like I spent like a lot of time prepping and getting things in order for that. And like the closer I got to being ready to release this, I'm like, I hope this actually works. I didn't spend all this time for like nothing. Well, did you get a sense for the number of people who are actually woodworkers versus non-woodworkers? Because it does, I mean, obviously the lion's share of your audience is probably going to be people who make things. So selling them things that are already made, you know, it seems like at least on on the surface might be a little risky, but you did really well. So are people like, hey, I'm a woodworker. I just don't have time to build chairs. Yeah, that's the best, the biggest consensus is I don't have time to make chairs or desire sure or maybe to a lesser extent like the skill okay. i guess to kind of jump into it a lot of it's like i made a table i don't really like any of the chairs i can just go by i feel like they're just gonna break i feel like i want to do something a little bit nicer than that and i want to have a party in the construction of the chairs right so there's a lot of that plus like i mean you've made chairs it's like and i got this experience too like in a smaller extent where i was putting together all these samples and just looking at the sheer number of parts all over my shop <laughs> yeah, and being like, it's a nightmare. And just looking at them all and like, these are all individual parts. There's multiples of all of them. And it becomes just like this grunt batch work process. Once you start making these chairs, so you got to make the same part. If you make a set of eight chairs, you got to make 16 rear legs, right? 16 mm-hmm. front legs. Yeah, It's not, it's you not know, a Maloof rocker. Side- you need eight of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, 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 it seems like it's a lot of, a lot of work to put all those parts together. And with the, at least the chairs that I'm doing, a lot of us, I've got steam bent parts too. So you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I got to make all these forms that account for spring back on all these pieces, bend them all, and then cut joinery on the ends of these things. It's crazy. And it, that seems like a lot of prep work of like just making jigs for like a few weeks. And then you can start making chair parts. And then you're making chair parts for like a few weeks. Right. Just putting things through machines. It, it's a production thing it becomes. So it's, I don't, I think a lot of the joy that people have for woodworking is not present in chair making. No. I mean, I mean wh- in, in that style, like in like multiples. Sure. One chair, one chair can be very satisfying. Six yeah, chairs. I would, I would personally, terrible. I would make one chair, two yeah. chairs, maybe like a set of two. Mm-hmm. I, would, I have no desire now to make a full set of like six or eight or some people were like 12. Yeah. You know, like that would be terrible. That's crazy. I mean, I, I feel I feel for them putting together 12. <laughs> I couldn't imagine making 12. Yeah, even the assembly is going to be pretty bad on that. So speaking of not wanting to build chairs, did my mom place her order? Yeah, she said that you were <laughs> supposed to have taken care of it. Sure. Because I, I emailed her after the order closed. I'm like, I never heard from you. What's going on? She's like, I thought Mark did it. So <laughs> sorry. I I uh, <laughs> put too much trust in my son. So anyway, yes. Hey, I handed ordered. her off. I was like, mom, here's his contact info. You want the chairs? Ask him questions. It's like, now it's her thing. I'll put them together, but she's got to place that order. No, that's the thing. My mom wanted these chairs. I would love to have nothing better to do than to just stop, you know, for a couple of months, focus on a chair design and then build like six of them or four of them, however many she needs. But I've done that with my chairs and exactly what you're saying. It's it's not that it's so difficult. It's just you feel like you're in a production factory yeah. uh, and it's just tedious. And by the end of it, 
when you're done, you go, oh, finally, all the construction is done. And then you go, oh, I've got to put finish on all these. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and right. Every, every surface needs to be, you know, sanded nice and smooth. We're going to talk about some of this finishing mistake stuff. That's one of the things you could do is you just get snowed under with the amount of labor mm-hmm. involved in applying finishes and then smoothing them after the first coat, then reapplying uh, times six times eight. That's a, that's a damn nightmare right there. <laughs> So hopefully you enjoy putting these together. I'm assuming that you're doing them and yeah, I'll be, I'll be doing that part of it and I will hate that as well. I'll I'll hate it even more because I didn't even build them. It'll be from like the other perspective. I got to finish these chairs. I didn't even build these things. I didn't even build this crap. (laughs) Yeah. We'll see how the joints hold up. You said they were like manufactured slightly loose. Uh, You're sending them to a very dry place. So I'm very curious to see, especially if I don't get to them for a while how yeah. like what's going to happen with the joinery is it going to loosen up a little bit more or uh is it all going to be i think A-okay? he still should be fine like in my in my experience putting together it's that once you get that glue on there mm-hmm. and things swell it comes together as a slip fit that's cool. how it's designed cool so if you're not it's kind of it's kind of weird putting these things together because like normally like i got my assembly mallet i got my clamps to pull things together mm-hmm. no you just just like literally press it together and if you didn't want to clamp it you just set it against the wall nice Huh. Sounds like it's my weird. kind of project. <laughs> it's, that's exactly what you want, right? It's, yeah. Uh, less, little effort as possible for chair making. Sure. Correct. Yeah. All right. What else? Uh, I just launched bench kits as well. Oh. Which wow. is pretty another cool thing. I think I have I have a few of these things going on like in the background, and mm-hmm. like they happen to just kind of jump out and be ready to go like at the same time. Yeah. So the ben- the bench kits are the um. Cortison slabs for the top for your workbench with uh, optional base material so you don't have to laminate anything, which it's been uh, well received too. I can say as being the recipient of a sample of said slabs, they're amazing. They're they're <laughs> totally in my way and I don't know what I'm doing with them just yet, but they yeah, are I amazing. I seeing them sitting there. I'm like, oh, I just keep putting more wood on top of them. <laughs> so they're a good stand for other pieces of wood, so... Well, the thing is that uh, Andy just uh, posted like a little preview of the bench he's working on mm-hmm. out of them too. And it looks good. It's like, yeah, it's cool. It's well, I will, I will have Shannon put a, a link to Andy's video in the show notes for you all to go take a look at. Uh, he puts the mineral spirits on that thing and it's just like, Boom. that's yeah, I want that. So I made my Rubo as like a one and done situation until now. But, but yeah, until now. Now I'm thinking like, <laughs> oh man, uh, <laughs> oh, gonna need to make one of these things. Are you gonna maybe so. like just replace the top and keep the base, or are you gonna get rid of this bench and do a whole do over? I don't know. I want to. I'd probably just do a whole new one. Oh, maybe. Oh, but the thing is, like, I, and honestly, because the other part of me is like, I really want to try Andy's vices as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I kind of want to do like, I I prefer to have two benches. And like have the benchcraft and stuff on one and the twin turbo on the other and kind of see how that compares and, and does. Obviously, I don't have a space right now for two benches. I was going to say maybe your next workshop. because But the next workshop, <laughs> I would like to have a second bench. And if I have enough space for two, it'd be nice to have just a second, you know, either workbench or like just a dedicated like. Whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. for us, the, the weird thing that we do, where we have to stand in front of our bench and talk to people. Yeah. You know, the, the set, I guess. <laughs> the, the set, set bench. bench. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the recording not studio. S- not so much for actually using, yeah. I guess. 
And then the uh, in the shop, I'm working on a, a nice little dressing vanity that's going to be over in the guild. So that's uh, a whole bunch of long miter joint things. It's, yeah. It's, uh, what, it, what do we want to call that? Like a green wrap box times three times two for the time. It's, I don't know, what do we call those things? Furniture. And then, okay. There you go. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Enough messing with Matt today. It's I a, feel like I'm asking for help, and all I'm getting is just like <laughs> slaps in the face. <laughs> Look, man, it's Sunday morning. I've had one cup of coffee. I'm going to be a little. Uh, it's Sunday morning. I came and think of the name for like a green wrap mitered box thing. Yeah, joinery. Uh huh. One, one of those. One of those things. It looks good. It's coming together. I'm excited to see it. We're going to have actually a flood of content in the guild uh, in the next maybe couple of months. So my project just launched. Your project is coming soon. Uh, yep. We've got uh, Philip Morley's lounge chair is being filmed or actually should be done. Uh, yeah, being that's going to be a nice one too. Yeah, excited for that one. And I'm traveling to uh, go see Daryl Peart to pick up the content for his, uh, what is it? The, not the nightstand, the dresser thing. <laughs> the chest of drawers. That's what, 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 what are we doing? It's the, furniture. What, 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 oh, just furniture. It's all expensive furniture. So yeah, yeah lots of good stuff coming out in the guild here soon. Uh, Shannon, what about you, dude? Uh, I'm actually, you got me thinking about, uh, Andy's vice. Cause I started the install on the big one. Oh, did you? And nice. then, then he started talking about that whole swivel mount thing. Mm -hmm. And that's like exactly what I want because I'm primarily using it for like <laughs> oddly shaped stuff for resawing and, you know, like uh Windsor chair bottom shaping and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. um, I just occurred to me that I needed to check on that. Uh, he still got it listed as a presale on his website, but uh, I kind of stopped the install knowing that it would be irrelevant once the little swivel thing came out. Mm, That's the problem. Mm. Andy, Andy is like the phone manufacturers. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he releases like the bench and then he's got a, you know, a better version of it or a better little doohickey that goes on the bottom. So yeah, he's the guy you get, you got to watch out for you buy mm -hmm. his version and then it's, it's obsolete like six months later. So anyway, yeah, I had started that, but like I said, kind of put it aside because <clears throat> I want I want the better version. I want the one that has the doohickey that swivels. No, the bells and whistles. So it's Sweet. it's it's been interesting. I actually finished up um like during the first probably month of the whole quarantine thing, I was able to finish up a lot of the projects that I had just floating around the shop. Literally apply finish, you know, because you shut down the shop, you can't make any dust in here when you're putting on finish. So I had uh what three different projects floating around that needed to have finish on it. I got them all done, got them out of the shop. And I had this moment where I was like, now what? Like, I mean, I know there's lots of things and lots of ideas and things, but there really was nothing in progress in the mm -hmm. shop. It felt very, very empty. It was kind of weird. So I actually took the advantage to sit down at my uh, Chevrolet and really just play with marketry more. It's been something that's been going for like a year to just kind of, when I have time, when, muck around with it, never really getting very far with it. So I took uh, probably a solid month and just sat astride my Chevrolet and just had some fun, um, made a couple of little things, started playing with kind of the piece by piece method, realized I needed to get a little bit more experience doing bulwark and kind of went back to that. So I've got a couple of fun little art pieces hanging on the walls in the shop. Uh, one of them I sent off to my mom, you know, it was just kind of fun to take kind of a step back from finish this project, start this project, finish that project, start the next project and just kind of work on skills. It was really kind of cool. 
That yes. being said, that's done. Things have got to move on. Like <laughs> that's that's not generating any content. And I mean, I suppose it could, but I'm really hesitant to like, you know, we always talk about how you just need to know just a little bit more than someone else in order to film a video. I feel like I need to know a lot more about marketry before I start turning on the camera because it's just, it wouldn't be. Actually, these days, don't you feel like you don't really need to know anything about it before making a video? Well, personally, I do. <laughs> like sometimes when you watch personally. things, you start <laughs> I mean, to go, wait a minute, this person yes. doesn't know anything about what I, they're telling me about. <laughs> I've watched a lot of that has given me even more reason to say that in my own videos. <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure that I can at least, you know, yeah, pump with a little bit more authority on it. Um, yeah. And interestingly enough with marketry, I mean, there's kind of like there's this void, there's like nobody talking about it. And then there's people who have like PhDs in it talking about yeah, it. Yeah. They live know? and breathe it. And, and it's like their work is so unbelievably, incredibly crazy, beautiful. You know, the Paul Churches, the Patrick Edwards, uh, Yannick Chastain, those guys that actually like Silas work for Top. museums. Yes. Yeah. Why do I always forget about Silas? Um, because <laughs> I really shouldn't. He's like a modern master. I got no, I got no answer for that one. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. He's the first one I think of. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I've always kind of trended towards 18th century stuff. And Mark, you've been a much more contemporary designer. That's Silas, you know, and like Patrick yeah. Edwards and Yannick, they are like museum restoration experts. So my entry into marketry was through through those guys. And then I kind of came to know Paul and, and Silas later. So I guess that's why I always end up putting those other guys first. But you, you know what I mean? There's their work is just incredible like it will be in museums it will be examined by museum conservators 100 years from now and then sure. there's really occasionally you'll find somebody on like instagram who did like a 20 second clip of of, of some piecing marketry together and there's nothing in between like no one's touching this subject so while yeah. there is an opening there to come in and produce content it's also a perfect opening to get like trolled like crazy <laughs> Oh yeah. I would troll yeah. me if I started putting out videos on this stuff. So I just, mm -hmm. nah, I've got to, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to take some more time to really work on the skills. I mean, there's, there's not that much to it. I mean, especially once you start using a Chevrolet, it kind of does a lot of the work for you, but there's still yeah. some, you know, accuracy in sawing and, and just the whole process is very complex. So yeah, I'm going to give it some time. Nice. So it long, long story short, I kind of, put that into the background again and moved on to making projects again. I've got an entry bench that I'm probably about halfway through at this point. And this is kind of fun. I, I have a, a suite of, of projects that kind of are very, very approachable. That would be really good kind of first projects for a woodworker who's maybe most woodworkers, they get started and they, they start focusing on some stuff in the shop. Maybe they build a workbench, maybe they build a cabinet and things that they can keep in the shop. And they don't have to worry how it necessarily looks because it's never going to leave the shop. And then eventually mm -hmm. you venture into the home and, you know, the spouse or whomever is saying, okay, when are you going to start making stuff for me? You've been buying tools. Um, so I, I put together like a, a suite of kind of entry level projects, but I've had a lot of fun taking them from entry level looking to more advanced looking without increasing the skill requirement. Nice. So kind of, kind of fun, you know, throwing angles in here and there, and when you look at it, it thinks, oh, wow, you know, that's complex. Maybe not complex, but that, that's more than just your typical little entry looking bench. It's got a, you know, an angled mortise and tenon on it um, and and some tapers and tusk tenons and things like that. It looks a little bit more involved. 
but it's really the exact same skills that were done in like a typical five board bench, you know, well, unless you nail it together, then this is a little bit more complex than the nailed together version, but it's been kind of fun. And it's been a reminder that even these like super, super involved projects, it's really just the same techniques over and over again, you know, an an angled mortise and tenon is a mortise and tenon. It's just the shoulder is not 90 degrees. And if you think about it, 90 degrees (laughs) is still an angle, right? So you may think, oh, and now I've got to cut angles on the shoulders. Well, you're cutting an angle on a typical 90 degree mortise and tenon. It's just an angle that you have a lot more experience with. So it's been kind of fun to um, explore the boundaries of the design without like trying to make it super, super involved and complex and require a bunch of specialized tooling and all that fun stuff. That's awesome. Hey, stepping back just a little bit to mention someone who I know of that does kind of satisfy that middle of the road person who's not you know, completely dedicated to marketry, but definitely does uh, a good bit of it is Ramon Valdez, uh, on, uh, Instagram. Right, 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 he, right. he actually does a lot of marketry, really, really good stuff, but that's not like his only gig. He does a ton of other things too. So, um, but, but, but the funny thing is that's like the exception that proves the rule. There's right. you're right. There really is no one else, at least that I've come across that dabbles in it <laughs> and shows it once in a while, uh, <laughs> versus <laughs> dedicating their life to it. Well, and I, so, I don't know that that actually can exist. You know, I mean, yeah. even Paul, I think Paul Church started building furniture and thought there's got to be a way I can like stand out from the crowd. Right. So then he started yeah. doing it. But then next thing you know, he's like going to Italy and like studying with Italian masters and basically right. taking time out of his life and his in his world to do this. It's not really something you can just kind of dip a toe in. Yeah. <laughs> it tends to become consuming. It's almost not ready all or for nothing. That. We have a, a really good interview with Paul in the guild. We actually have a bunch of guild meetings and uh, interviews, and those are just there in the archive to listen to. And Paul's uh, search is one of them, and he gives us uh, gave us his whole story about how he learned it and what he and did he, in Italy. It was pretty and cool. He says and he says the word filete like many, filete. many times. <laughs> yep, he's like, <laughs> uh, what's that? What's that lady on the Food Network that has to insist on every Italian sounding word, pronouncing <laughs> it as if it's in Italian? I think that's uh, every person G- on the Food Network. Well, Gianna something, whatever. Yeah, she's yeah. annoying. Or, or NPR. Like, Listen to like NPR her. and it's like, hi, I'm George. And today we we're talking about Paraguay. <laughs> what? <laughs> or like they Dude. go to order Mexican and they want two tacos. <laughs> that's what Nicole does. Why All right. Does everyone um, like salsa? Because they like to say salsa. <laughs> salsa. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, let's do some kickback here. Um, who wants to do these? I didn't. I didn't put this stuff in there. Mm, I'll jump on it because I had the question originally Um, I brought up the whole idea that SketchUp is going to subscription only so Ross wrote in with uh, a product freecadweb.org and he says it's closer to Fusion 360 than SketchUp but it's free it runs on all three major PC platforms and compatible with many 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 file formats channeling Commandant Lazard there Many, yeah. many, many file formats. I'm quest- curious. Three major PC platforms. What are the three major PC platforms? Uh, PC, PC Unix, PC, Linux. Oh, he's saying personal computer. Um, Mac, Linux, and uh, OS 10. Okay. Or Mac OS, whatever uh, Mac they're calling OS. it now. Yeah. Linux. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about this thing with SketchUp. So I played around with the web version of SketchUp and um. I'm I'm having trouble seeing what the problem is. Like everyone seems to be bailing on it because the free version is web only. I, I understand the argument. If you need a desktop 
program, something that's like a downloaded program that you don't need an internet connection for. I get that. That argument I understand. <clears throat> but the web version is pretty, you know, for like perusing a file and spinning something around, making a few changes, looking at different views, mm -hmm. uh, dimensioning things. I'm not sure I see the problem with the web version. It no, seems I, perfectly I totally functional. agree. When it comes to navigating around an existing model, it's fine. Yeah. Where I have trouble is in actually building a model using the web version. And, mm -hmm. and honestly, it's not, I mean, it still has the major features that are in there, but the, the interface is slightly different that it just frustrates me. Um, like the keystrokes <laughs> are different in many instances. So it, a little bit of learning curve. Yeah. Right. It's, it's stubbornness, frankly, on, on top of the curve you already went through. Yeah. I, I know how to, to, I have a workflow using the desktop version, but there yeah. are a couple of other things. There are certain functions and I wish I could remember, like, I don't think the follow me tool works in the online version. Mm -hmm. So like anytime I create a molding, no, doesn't work. Um, there's a couple other, like not super advanced tools. Like I know how to use them, so they can't be that advanced, but kind of <laughs> mid-level tools that, <laughs> that don't function yeah. in the online version. But okay. if the model already exists and for the, the purpose of that original conversation, like, will we continue to use it? It's actually easier because now, like before I used to have people saying, well, how do I open this file? Like are unfamiliar with SketchUp. How do you open a .skp file? You know, you don't have to download anything. You just go to the the website and it's all there. Um, so yeah. in many ways, I think it's actually a cleaner, uh, cleaner way to, to review a model and navigate around a model. Well, the one thing I don't understand is the user interface. Why is so dramatically different in like the, all the icons look different. The placement is different. I get it. It's a web interface, so it has to be a little bit different, but they didn't seem to make any effort whatsoever to make them look like the same program from a user interface perspective. Probably because it was different on every single browser. So they just figured, eh. <laughs> but it feels like, you know, even just eh, icons, eh. give me the same eh. icons, you know, that eh, can't be enough. that hard. Fair enough. Yeah. Whatever. Who Choose knows? the internet explorer that screws eh. it all up. Stupid SketchUp. All right. So uh, let's get to our main topic today. <laughs> We're talking about finishing disasters, potentially finishing mistakes, how we fix them, things along those lines. Uh, who wants to go first? So I'll we were in. each going to go kind of talk about a specific instance of a finishing mistake that we had or a disaster yeah. and uh, what we did about it. I was building um, a shaker clock. Actually, it's one of the projects in the hand tool school. And I decided that I wanted to do a shellac finish. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure why I decided shellac, because I don't think I've ever seen shellac on a shaker piece, but whatever. Um, and I blame, <laughs> I, I blame Don Williams for this. Um, I had been to a, a SAPFA meeting. Actually, I had hosted a SAPFA meeting at the Lumberyard, and Don was our guest speaker, and he was talking about shellac. <clears throat> and specifically, that was when he came out with those little polissoir uh, broom dealios. Mm -hmm. And he was um, demonstrating that. And he had a product there that he called shellac flour. And really, it was just shellac, but it's ground so fine. So it wasn't in flake form. It looks like flour. It's ground as fine as flour. And he basically said this stuff is fantastic because it just dissolves instantly. You put it in your alcohol and there's no needing to like let it sit overnight or any of that stuff. You can mix it like as you need it. So he said, mm. it's great because it, it allows me to be really um, conservative with it. You know, I don't want to end up with excess. So I'll just sprinkle a little bit in this alcohol, use that till it's done and then mix it again because it takes like two seconds to do it. And I was like, 
that's just really cool. So I was talking to Don about it afterwards and he's like, well, here. And he hands me like this ginormous Ziploc bag. He's like, here, here you go. Here's some you cocaine. Know? Cause apparently the only way he, that's pretty much what it looks like too. I mean, other than the fact oh, that thank it's you, yellow, sorry. it's yellow. So it's, it's, it's really bad cocaine, but yeah, yeah it's the cheap stuff. <laughs> it's, it's very unrefined. I'm going to be very productive today. <laughs> Woo. You got some, and, and people, people don't call you on it because when they see yellow powder on your nose, they don't think, ah, oh, this guy's on Coke. You know, it's just, that's right. they just thought he had like a bad donut. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, Ew, yellow donut. Um, so anyway, apparently when, in order to get it, like you have to buy it by like the 50 gallon drum or whatever. So he's like literally swimming like Scrooge McDuck in, in shellac flour. So I was like, here, no skin off my nose. Have this giant bag of the stuff. Um, so I was like, this is great. This is what I'm going to use. Well, shellac, right? You, you know, it's it's a volumetric measurement or, or weight measure rather, I should say. And not volumetric. So you're making a one pound cut. You know, if you were to take a pound of, of, of shellac flakes or a pound of shellac flour or a pound of shellac, you know, still in the bugs, it's still a one pound cut, right? As long as you yeah. have that one pound. I don't know what happened. Somehow, because this stuff is so refined and really what it comes down to, it's so concentrated. I tried to make a one pound cut and somehow ended up with like a 12 pound cut. <laughs> it was like the strongest shellac mix you've ever seen. And I put it on and, you know, cherry, it always looks dramatically different when you put that first coat of finish on because it goes from that really light pink and it suddenly gets this deeper, darker color to it. And, yeah. you know, as I said, the color is yellow. It was more like a blonde shellac or a super blonde shellac color. And I put that on and I thought, okay, that looks wrong. But, you know, this came from Don Williams. He's like, furniture conservator to the Smithsonian, like trust the, you know, trust the, the source here. So you know, I let it dry and I went and I sanded it back and then I applied another coat and it was like, this looks like yellow paint. This is not shellac. This is yellow paint. <laughs> and then I started kind of re reverse engineering, retracing my steps. And, and I realized that I had not weighed it. I'd gone, I'd mixed it like a volumetric thing. Um, I applied a little, I, I put a little powder. Let me back up. Normally when I do flakes, I, I figured out if I, if I fill the flakes to a certain level in the Mason jar and then I fill it up with alcohol, that ends up being one pound. Oh, uh, just it's like just, a simple ratio, like a yeah, two to one exactly. ratio. I mean, yep. many, many times making one pound cut in the same Mason jar. I know yeah. that if I put this, this line, I even have a Sharpie on there, fill the flakes to the, the, the flakes to this line, fill it up with alcohol, one pound cut. I stupidly did the same thing. Well, think about it flakes <laughs> versus flour. And I, I still don't know what the ratio, what it was, but it was like eight or 10 pound cut. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I totally ruined the project and stupidly again, because it was, well, it's Don Williams. You know what he's talking about. He does know what he's talking about for the record. I'm the idiot in this situation. Mm -hmm. So the second coat went on and that was when I had to put the brakes on and realize there was really nothing I could do. I had to take it back to the raw wood. There was just, there was, I could not think of any fix. There was no, well, let's grab some alcohol and try to dilute it. No, no, that just didn't work. Well, it, I mean, at that point, if you even just getting it off the surface with alcohol, it just kind of becomes a smooshy mess. mess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're just going to wipe it and rub it around. Getting it off would take probably a gallon of alcohol. Yeah. So I, I grabbed some hand planes, which also this project happens to be the first time that I've had to reverse a high glue joint because it was, it was easier <laughs> 
Because the, the <laughs> shellac powder, I mean, it, it was almost like instead of I was using shellac, it was like I was using a dye. You know, dye is, is finely ground pigment in some sort of solution. And when the solution flashes off, you're left with the dirt on the surface. So this was the same, like the, the inside corners and crevices were like fluorescent yellow. <laughs> it was like, this is terrible. So I actually heated up the high glue and removed a couple of pieces off the front of the clock and everything, just so I could get in there with a hand plane and clean it all off. It was a mess. It was ugly. Mm. But yeah, in that Very instance, nice. the fix was the nuclear option of just remove it all, go back to the raw wood and start over. Yep. Take and I've only used that cocaine that and flour. do it again. I think I've only used the shellac flour twice since then because it still kind of scares me. <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> the woodworker's cocaine. Yeah, okay. Shellac cocaine. Did it come like in a bag, like sealed up in duct tape and wrapped up? And- <laughs> no, but they were they were little like tiny bags. They were little tiny. It was one bag filled <laughs> with a bunch sa- of little the bags. The samplers. <laughs> Man, this is this is turning into a bad <laughs> show Do they call them dime bags when it's cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about that stuff. Why would you even ask? Okay. Oh, Matt, you got a you got a finishing mistake other than the mistake of talking about it on Wood Talk. Um, oh, and the other the other mistake <laughs> there is I filmed the whole thing and I've kept oh, yeah, it in the hand tool school as an example of what not to do. You know what? That's the best content, though. That's yeah. that's the best learning experience. So I like that. So, Matt, what do you got? I'm going to go with uh, finishing disaster. That was, uh, I don't know. Not as bad as Shannon's do-over thing, but mm-hmm. the farmhouse table, when I finished that thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the disaster there was, it was being built and finished outdoors, you know, completely uncovered Oof. or, you know, exposed to the elements mm-hmm. with a, um, well, I was building it outside too, so it got wet repeatedly, even though I had tarps on it when it was supposed to rain or if maybe still you know, maybe I forgot to put a tarp on. We had a quick thunderstorm or, or whatever. So the wood I was working with ended up getting wet a lot. It had some um, partially rotten areas that needed to be stabilized anyway. And those got wet too. Oy. And of course, when wood that's like low uh, density gets wet, especially it's going to swell. So uh, I got to the point where I'm like, I got to finish on this thing. This area is not totally dry yet either. Let me sand it and finish it and whatever. And of course, you know, that area is now shrunk down below the surface or be- below the rest of the surface. I have a low area there where that stabilized area was. And uh, it was not fun trying to apply a finish that takes 24 hours to cure between coats outside in like the wettest August we've ever had. Jeez. So it was. I mean, it, it's fine because, you know, the table hasn't fallen apart, but. It was a terrible experience. I never want to do it again. So the disaster was just the experience. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, that sounds fun. No. <laughs> All right. Um, mine takes me back to uh, Arizona. And this is pre-Wood Whisperer days because I was doing refinishing jobs and just taking whatever jobs I could get. Uh, and this lady had a big dining room table that was just kind of... I don't even know how to describe the finish. Have you ever seen it's like a, a, a medium brown finish, but somehow in the finish, they put these black flecks, almost like paint splatter in, in there to give like a speckled effect. I've seen that on a few different pieces. I don't know what the name. I've never is. seen that. No, that, that sounds crazy. I've seen it quite a few times and it's I like, don't those like epoxy it. garage floors. 
Or they yeah, give that. little paint speckles to throw on it. <laughs> so yeah, so this thing was this lighter color with these speckled paint look to it. So she wanted it completely refinished and made into like a mahogany color, something dark reddish. Uh, so I, I stripped down, sanded everything down. Everything looked good. Put the stain on there. Started using Armor Seal at the time. And this was just one of those times with Armor Seal, this happens. It was just streaky. And I could not figure out how to prevent these streaks. I was applying it, you know, with a, uh, with a rag, <clears throat> excuse me, mornings are hard for me. Um, applying just it with a rag, mornings. trying to get as even of a, of a coat as possible, but I could not get this thing to stop streaking. So at the time, you know, I, I just did my best and there's, there, there, I guess there's things we do early on. I would love to hear stories of what other people have done uh, early in their business attempts at like, getting things going where, you know, something isn't a hundred percent perfect, but you've exhausted your ability to fix it and you have to still submit it to the client as if it's done and perfect and hope that everything just goes okay or that they don't notice. Right. It's a terrible thing to do, but I think when you're, when you're running a business probably sooner than you should be, you're going to run into those situations as you're learning on the job. <clears throat> so that's what I did. I was like, okay, well, this is uh, looking pretty good. Here you go. And uh, they were happy with it at first, and uh, then they weren't happy with it. Like a week later, the sun hits it a certain way, and she's like, "What? what's with all the streaking on here? So I, I wasn't about to take this thing back home because it's a huge table. I was like, all right, let me use, uh, let me use my, my noggin here think of what I can do. So the fix for that was to, in place, I, I came back with some um, high grit abrasive pads and a little bit of soapy water. And actually came back and just did a rub out on the top just oh. to bring it to a satin mm -hmm. sheen. And that was enough to disguise any of the streaks that we saw. I mean, at this point, she wasn't so concerned about the sheen as seeing something that looked even and consistent across the surface. Um, so I was able to do that in place in, in her kitchen and uh, got it looking good. And she was happy with it. So thankfully, it was not a complete disaster and a complete do over. <laughs> But th this is one of the nightmares uh, and why I'm so glad I was able to, to stop working for clients is the expectation, the, uh, you know, so thinking something is done, but then you get that call and you're like, what, what now? You know, it's, it's, it's you have to warranty this stuff and you got to make uh, the customer happy. So what yeah. are you supposed to do? And sometimes, sometimes in finishing things go wrong and people with experience will sometimes hit things where they go. I've never seen this before. I have no idea why this is happening, uh, but it's now, you know, you're on the hook to fix that. So it's a little bit scary, uh, but that was my, the, from, from that period of time, my, my biggest, uh, I guess you can call it finishing disaster. Um, you guys know who always finishes strong? Matt? Uh, Mr. Clean. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe I'll have to Google that. Uh, no, it's Rockler. My gosh, you guys are the worst at this. Look, it's, it's important to have the right. <clears throat> yeah. It's important to have the right products to avoid finishing mistakes. Like the ones we just talked about. Rockler is everything you need to finish your projects, including sandpaper and abrasives, adhesives, finishing applicators and racks, wood finishes, furniture, restoration and conditioning products, and even epoxy and resin. Rockler is also your go-to source for expert woodworking knowledge that you can trust, unlike the knowledge you're getting here. Uh, Rockler's website has a whole how-to section with articles and videos full of useful tips, tricks, techniques, and advice for woodworkers of all skill levels. 
from how to apply different finishes to uh, repairing dings and dents. This section is full of information to teach and inspire you to create woodworking projects with confidence. You can find all that at rockler.com slash how to, and it's how dash T-O. And if uh, you have a question, here's the coolest thing. Uh, You're wondering about what finish to use or maybe walking through a mistake, how to fix it. You could always ask any retail associate or contact Rockler's product support team at support at rockler.com. Or here's a number for you to call. It's 1-800-260-9663. It's pretty great. I love that they have that service. I'm going to test it one day. I'm going to just, I'm going to be Joe Schmo (laughs) and call with my finishing problem and see what they say. I've got a a table of finish for a client and it's all streaky. (laughs) And uh, the sun hit it and she noticed the streaks. What do I do? (laughs) Panic. Panic is what you do. Run away. Run away quickly. Anyway, so thank you so much, Rockler, for sponsoring the show. Remember, go to Rockler. Get get all the right stuff up front because I'll tell you what helps prevent finishing mistakes is getting the right materials and tools to get the job done right in the first place. It's it's using the wrong thing uh, or doing the wrong thing that that sets you down the wrong path. And uh, Rockler's there to help you out. So uh, again, that was rockler.com slash how dash two for some of those tutorials. All right. Go Rockler. Go Rockler. So let's uh, let's quickly run through some common finishing mistakes. I just jotted these down. If you guys think of other ones, feel free to, to jump in with them. Uh, I think I've done so, all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these are absolutely from experience, having done all of these things. Uh, so rushing. So there's a lot of things you could do in finishing to rush it. <clears throat> And they will all screw you up. Uh, Applying a top coat too soon after you've stained, um, especially if you're using like oil-based products, you apply an oil-based stain, it's typically got boiled linseed oil in it. And if you apply a polyurethane or varnish top coat on that before that that stain actually cures, you're going to have a sticky mess. And I can't (laughs) tell you how many emails I've gotten from people with that exact problem. I applied a stain and then I put on a, you know, my poly top coat and it's all sticky. It's been five days. You know, it's like, well... Here's the problem. These oil-based finishes need access to air, to oxygen for them to cure. So if you have a partially cured layer and then you put another oil-based layer on top of that, you've effectively blocked off any air from getting to that first layer. But that also prevents the second layer from curing. So they kind of, it just exacerbates the situation. And the worst thing you could do with a sticky finish is hope that the next coat is going to take care of it. (laughs) Right. Have you ever done that where you you got the sticky finish and you're like, well, you know what, this next one, I'll just apply it thin and it'll dry. Seal it in there. Yeah. We'll really seal it all in there. That does not happen. So, uh, so rushing, you know, give things, especially, uh, oil-based stuff. You got to give it the proper amount of time to cure. Otherwise you're going to be in a sticky, sticky mess. Well, also if, if you are actually applying a stain like pigment, the next coat can actually reactivate and move the pigment around. Mm-hmm. So you had this nice lay down of color and now suddenly it's streaky or like you see brush marks in it. It's because you're actually are like the pigment is not locked into place because whatever it's mixed with the varnish is now yeah. being reactivated by the solvent in the next coat. And it's giving you that lovely streaky look to your, to the pigment you put down. Unless you like that look. I mean, yeah, could be an effect. If you're in early customers of the Wood Whisperer love the streaky look. <laughs> I trained them to like it. So it's like this is a style, folks. You're gonna enjoy it. Uh okay, how about sanding between coats? So there's there's I think almost I do that uh, all the time. 
there's like the flip side to this. Uh, so of course, forgetting to sand between coats can cause problem, but also uh, sanding too much between coats. You run a risk of just, especially if you're doing like a wipe on poly, if you're sanding aggressively between coats, well, that layer wasn't very thick to begin with. So if you sand the crap out of it, you go <laughs> right through. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I think knowing, knowing the finish is important. So if you're doing a wipe on uh, poly, let's say something like a armor seal, uh, you might want to sand between every two coats or something like that. Or maybe don't, don't even sand until after two or three coats have been applied. Uh, otherwise you may just burn right through that. I just use really fine grit sandpaper. Like it is yeah. hard to sand through a finish at 600 or a thousand grit. You watch it's possible. my random orbit sander. Yeah. <laughs> well, if anyone I mean, can do it. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is I I'm using like a sanding block. Yeah. <laughs> Old school, but yeah, it, it's hard to when and they're sanding sponges. So they've got that little bit of give to it. That and the fact that I misordered from tools for working wood. And instead of getting a smaller amount, I ended up getting this ginormous roll of 600 grit sanding sponges. So I will <laughs> so forever that's what you're using. <laughs> using 600 grit yeah. sanding sponges. So Matt, take us back on this one. Uh, you know, assuming we have some um, very new woodworkers, can you explain a little bit about why we want to sand between coats? Of uh, normal finishes? Uh, yeah. Like any finish that I you guess. would sand between coats, like why are we doing this in the first place? So I think there's probably two big reasons. The first reason would be to remove any inconsistencies in the previous coat, like uh, in dust nibs or like even if you had some streaking, you'd probably knock it back a little bit and just kind of prep the surface and flatten it back out again. Mm -hmm. And with that too, depending on the finish you're using, if using it doesn't matter as much for finishes that actually like, you know, melt into each other, but for something that needs some little bit of tooth to it, it helped to, you know, get the coats to actually adhere better towards each other, better to each other. Sure. Just to each other. Yeah. There we go. That makes sense. Uh, how about raising the grain? So you're using a water-based stain, water-based uh, top coat, whatever it is. Uh, you go and, and sand your project to 220, whatever you're happy with. And uh, you throw that finish on there. And after that first finish dries, you run your hand over the surface and you're like, what is that? It's rough. It feels like 60 grit sandpaper. Uh, so, so what can happen here? Actually, Shannon, you want to take the lead on grain raising, why we're doing it in the first place? I, I don't do it because I use a hand plane. <laughs> oh. <sighs> oh, I thought you were well, going to say you don't do it because you don't finish your projects. Well, yeah. <laughs> that. I, I really need to dispel that myth because I've done a lot of finishing lately. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, several people need that. email me saying, I know you don't ever finish. I was just like, God, we need that I say for the that? show. I said that like four years ago. <laughs> it's show it's still, fodder. Still haunting me. I'm not letting it go. <laughs> so there there's, and, and this is actually, this is actually good because they do say that if you use a hand plane, you don't have to worry about raising the grain to some respect. It's true. Um, and it has to do with the type of cut that's happening. If you're using sandpaper, you're braiding the surface. If you're using a hand plane, you're slicing away the surface. So grab your block of cheese and your cheese grater and mm -hmm. you grate it away and you get the little stringy grated cheese, but then you get this really kind of rough surface on the block of cheese. Now grab one of those little cheese, cheese a knife or a cheese plane, if you're really fancy, and you slice it away <laughs> and you get a nice smooth surface left on your block of cheese. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going on with the wood, just not as tasty. Well, depends on what you're into. But with the little kind of abraded surface, you're opening up all this area in the wood, all the little straws, the fibers in the wood that can absorb water. 
So it doesn't matter whether it's oil-based or water-based. It is a, it, there is a solvent. There is liquid that's going into those little exposed ingrained straws and it's causing them to swell up. So they literally raise up off the surface because they're filled with fluid and it leaves you with this very, very rough surface. So they say, they say, they don't say, this is true. This is not, this is not some sort <laughs> Rumor of has it. urban legend. Um, yeah. You know, you apply that first coat of finish um, and it will raise up and then you can sand that back and then you're good to go from that on because essentially not only is it, is it raised up those fibers, but it also is kind of locking them in place because the finish, assuming you've followed the, the first mistake and let the first coat dry, that finish itself dries, it cures, it hardens, and it, it's going to prevent additional raising of the grain. So you can raise the grain by doing just water or you could actually apply like your first coat of finish you know, um, or like a, a coat of a wash coat or something like that, that will raise the grain and then you sand it back from there. Just recognize that you might actually sand away a lot of that first coat of finish in yeah. sanding back the raised grain. <clears throat> so it's just a, I, I actually have always done it using a wash coat of my finish, something more dilute coat of the finish rather than bringing the water to bear because it, it just gets me a little bit closer to being done. You know, the finish is still yeah. left on the surface. Some finish will definitely be there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I also find that um, the finish itself, it hardens as it cures. So it prevents any chance of the grain raising again a second time because I have had that happen with water. And you feel like yeah. you get it all and then it raises again. You're like, <laughs> damn it. So, um, yeah, and the reason that it's not doing that as much, notice I didn't say not at all, with a hand plane is because you are getting that smoother cut and you're not really exposing all the end grain um, in between, you know, every single little abrasive scratch on the surface is a whole bunch of exposed end grain. The plane is, is leaving a, um, not really a smoother surface, but a continuous grain surface that mm -hmm. won't raise because there's no little exposed uh, straws of ingrain sticking up sure except between cool. the growth rings which is why you still get a little bit of raising with a hand plane it doesn't go away entirely all right another thing people tend to do sometimes they're using a wipe on finish but there's a difference between wipe on and leave on and wipe on <laughs> and wipe off right mm -hmm. so if you have a armor seal a min wax wipe on poly things like that. These are finishes that are intended. Well, you can wipe and wipe off, but they are really intended to kind of just lay down a layer and then you leave it alone. Uh, but there are other finishes that have more raw, closer to raw oils in them. So things like a Danish oil, uh, or if you're just using tongue oil or boiled linseed oil, uh, these are things that need to be wiped off. If you keep too thick of a layer on the surface, goes back to that first thing we mentioned, you have a sticky mess. So in order for those finishes to cure, a little bit goes a long way. You can't put a very thick coat. So I think neglecting the wipe off part of the process can get someone into really a really sticky situation. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. So this one is something I found out, uh, you know, speaking of shellac, uh, Shannon, with that whole situation, early shellac, shellac trouble that I've had. Yeah. Shellac paint. Uh, so applying fast drying evaporative finishes by hand uh, when those are actually, in most cases, better off being sprayed. So things like lacquer, shellac. Uh, now, of course, you can brush these things. You can, in some cases, wipe them uh, onto the surface, but you got to know what you're doing. You got to know what you're in for. They dry so quickly 
And this is one thing I found out with shellac. I was trying to just, you know, it looked like any other finish, right? I should be able to grab a brush, lay it down. But I would find that by the time I went to go over an area a second time with the brush, it was already dragging because it was setting so fast. Uh, And then I just made a disaster of this thing that I was finishing with shellac. Um, So there are techniques and it's going to be finish dependent for how you can actually do that. There are brushing lacquers and there are techniques to apply shellac, uh, you know, French polish. There are brush techniques that are out there, but you really got to be a little bit more experienced with it to get good results that way. Um, So anything that dries really fast, I will use HVLP if I'm going to use that laying down a finish that dries quickly by spray is definitely the easier way to go. If you have that, I think in general, over brushing is an issue, whether it's a fast drying finish or not. Um, Like wiping varnishes, a lot of the, the higher quality finishes that you buy tend to be more dilute than some of the the middle of the road type finishes or just the random stuff on the big box store shelf. And mm-hmm. they really do self-level. But, you know, you're sitting there with a brush and you're you're wiping it on. And in your instance, Mark, where it's a fast drying finish, you know, you're actually like etching the brush mark into the surface because it's already right. started to solidify. You may also have finishes and and I do a lot of of finishing with Endurovar. That doesn't it certainly dries faster because it's water-based than like armor seal, but it's still, it's, it's not setting up even anywhere near as fast as shellac or lacquer, but you can still overbrush it pretty easily because you, it's soaking in in certain areas and you think, oh, let me go over and apply a little bit more onto that. And it, it ends up looking uneven or in some yep. instances you can actually brush finish away from something that's already set. Although there's a brush mark, let me go over that again. And all you're doing is dragging finish off of that yeah. area rather <laughs> done than that smoothing it out. So anytime I think you're brushing and maybe to some extent wiping, you have to be really conscious of, of only go over the surface once because the second time is really not doing anything. And if it's, if it's looking blotchy or it's drying uneven, that's just the grain. It's soaking more in, in that particular area. And you just got to let it alone and, you know, fix that on the sanding between coats or subsequent coats. Yeah. Have either of you had um, an experience with, and this is something we tend to do earlier, I think, in our woodworking journeys, experience with trying to make a cheap wood look like something it's not? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't say this to you know disparage it because it's obviously something a lot of us need to do. If you can't justify spending the money on walnut, you might get something less expensive and try to make it look like walnut. It's just, you know, that's why stains exist to to make things look like what they're not. But there are definitely right and wrong ways to do this. And a lot of times you end up in situations, especially with the the less expensive woods, you've got a blotch situation to be concerned about. So you, you hit that pine with a walnut stain and suddenly it looks like, I don't know, something that's inside Cracker Barrel, you know, like, just the old stained country sort of rustic look. And I, you know, sometimes people want that and that's, that's, that's a, a legitimate style. That's fine. Uh, but when you wanted Walnut and you end up with Cracker Barrel, then you got a little bit of a, <laughs> you got a little bit of a problem there. Right. So a lot of times this comes down to blotch control. So who, who wants to talk about blotch control? Uh, I'm Cause I don't busy sending an email up to Cracker Barrel apologizing. <laughs> Sorry, Cracker. <laughs> well, there goes that sponsorship. <laughs> Have you had their uh, their their biscuits and gravy? Nicole thinks it's pretty good. 
A little heavy said, on the pepper, end, but when you said you end up with something that looks like Cracker Barrel, that's immediately what flashed in my mind. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> your walnut there, attempt looks like biscuits and gravy. Their really uh, chicken and dumplings is is pretty good too. I like that. All right. Um, so, Matt, you you confront <laughs> blotching much? I mean, I know I know you don't stain a whole lot to begin with. So, no, I stopped staining when I discovered that just use the wood you want it to look like. Well, <laughs> right. To be fair, you can still get blotching right? without stain. Like you can get blotching using armor seal sure i also realized that what most people consider blotching i just consider figure mm-hmm. bingo so <laughs> there's that side of things too so like when i started getting more into cherry charles neal's blotch control is just like starting to become a thing so i'm like oh, i'll buy this and use it and i tried it i'm like i, didn't, I honestly didn't like it because it made the wood just too uniform yeah I'm like i have cherry here it's got a little bit of in the undulation in the in the in the wood grain, mm-hmm. so it's gonna have some blotching or figure normally, but it was just so flat. It made it, just, I don't know. I mean, it did its job. There was no blotching figure, yeah, whatever, because it's sealing up the little end grain of the the wood that happens to come to the surface as end grain being figure, right? So it did its job, but it made it so uniform and flat, like it, the wood didn't have the depth that it would if it was just clear coated, almost artificial. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One man's which, blotch is another man's figure. Which is fantastic if you are going to add color. Like, yes. what better way to get yeah. good? Of, and, and if you look at a lot of Charles's work, um, his uh, 18th century stuff started as maple, and it all looks like mahogany when he's done. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The master of adding color is, is excuse me, was, rest in peace, Charles, was Charles. Charles Neal. Um, and, and that's why I think the blotch control came into existence because he does add or did add. I don't like that. Did add color to so much of his projects. Yeah. And I think in those instances, it makes sense. There's, I think that people hear about like blotching and controlling blotching and they think, Oh, this wood's going to blotch and blotching is bad. And they don't, there's, it's like, they don't have the complete story. Right. Which that's kind of a marketing issue too. Fake news. Oh, you have to use this. No matter what you do, you got to use, gotta use the pre- pre-stain conditioner. Gotta, yes. No matter what, you got to do that. Then there's no why. <laughs> I think that's a, that's, that speaks to a bigger issue. Don't forget your undercoating. information that's out there now. There's not enough why. Yeah. But. Well, like when anyway. you hear somebody say, I'm staining red oak, I started with a pre-conditioner and it's like, well, why? <laughs> you have well, probably one of the best staining woods available. <laughs> yeah, just it, it ex- because that's right there on the shelf with min ma- wood ma- uh, yeah, min wax. Yeah. Step one, preconditioner. <laughs> right. Step two, whatever the stain is, and then step three, this poly or wipe on or whatever, uh, which like, uh, it nourishes the wood from the inside. You got to follow it. And like we've talked about this before, where it's like when I started, I thought you had to stain everything. Yeah. So I bought natural color stain because that was the, that was a second step: preconditioner, yeah. stain, and then finish. And I didn't want any color, so I just went natural. So here I am applying a conditioner and then a natural stain and then my top coat yeah. because that's what the can says. <laughs> right? But yeah, <laughs> those marketing guys, yeah. they just want you to buy more cans of stuff. Make sure you rinse and repeat. Well, and I also think there is a little uh, terminology issue with, I guess, the general audience or the general crowd, DIY crowd. Um, oh, sure. I, I know when Jason was working with me, he would always refer to finishing as stain. So we'd be like, oh, we're going to stain this piece. I think I've told this before uh, where I yeah. would say no. <laughs> he was like, well, wait, we're not going to put anything on it. 
It's like, yeah, we're going to finish it. Okay, so we're going to stain it. No, we're not staining it. <laughs> it's like this back and forth that we used to have. So yeah, I think a lot of people see the word stain and don't necessarily even know what that means. Could be. All right. Anyway, so there, there's just some common mistakes you might want to avoid. Hopefully that gives you some information on how to avoid it. Um, we had an <laughs> e- Yeah, hopefully. We're running long, so we're going to skip this email, guys. And uh, one self-promotional thing, if I may, if you go to the woodwhispererguild.com slash store, there's a digital download for a self-published book that I wrote. And it's a you know fairly small book, easy read. And it really was written from this perspective of avoiding mistakes. And I took basically the most common mistakes that I've had people ask me questions about and put that stuff in the book. Um, it's not the newest book out there, but it's, it's definitely taking it from a different angle. Um, so if you're interested in a, a quick read on that, it's fairly inexpensive digital download. Uh, go check that out. The woodwhisperguild.com slash store. It's called, uh, because I like long titles finishing. It ain't over till it's over. I what was I thinking? I think it's so uh, nice to hear you promote your right first book. <laughs> I never talk about it. I, I, the one you don't want to talk about. Well, it, it's a little, it almost gets a, like, it's still okay. It's good, but it was, it's, it's self-published and it looks like it was self-published. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's more of a pamphlet. I like it. It's, it's not bad. I mean, it's a, it's a nice it's, little PDF. It's red. It's got little cartoon pictures. Cartoons by big uh, fonts. Cartoons you know? by my buddy, Scott Johnson. He drew all the cartoons it's, for us. It's perfect for me, you know? Yeah. There's pictures, like pictures. There's big, big text, short sentences. There you know, actually, there are videos that accompany this. So as you're going through, there's a resources page that you can go to um, where I have video examples of the things I talk about in the book. So it's, you know, it's not bad for, I think it's like 10 bucks or something like that. It's not bad at all. <laughs> so go buy it, it. Go buy it, it if you want to learn a little PDF bit more. Format? We have it in uh, EPUB. We have it in PDF. Everything you I, could possibly want. I think it's a bit of an injustice, though, that you made Matt read what was on his bench that was written in the show notes, and you just skipped over the heading to this and didn't read it. Um, important. Oh, well, it's got a cuss word in it. I can't see that. <laughs> that's what you call everybody now, I thought. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's on my uh, Instagram stories. <laughs> oh, that's right. So only on Instagram, you referred to your followers as, the, as this. The B, the B word, yeah. So <laughs> it's all good. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, so I think that does it for us today. Remember that we are proudly sponsored by our friends at Rockler. Rockler is a family-owned business since 1954. They're your go-to source for high-quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK to receive free shipping on most orders over 39 bucks. Hooray! Go Rockler. Go Rockler. So send us questions. We will probably not read them based on our recent we'll show them. format. <laughs> we'll put them in the show notes, look at them, and then not actually answer them while we're recording. Mm-hmm. So we yep. need more of those. You can send your questions uh, over at woodtalkshow.com. There's a contact form there, or you can record a voice memo and email it into us at woodtalkshow at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram at Wood Talk Show or find us individually at Matt Cremona, Wood Whisperer, and Renaissance Woodworker. And, you know, if you were to do kind of a social homework this week, you could certainly send us pictures of a finish you're proud of. But I'd rather see the, the pictures of the finishes that you don't want to show to anybody else. If you have finishing nightmares, whether it's old, current, whatever, I'd love to see them. And, you know, if you did fix it, great. Maybe explain how you did it. But let's see 
your ugliest finishes. Yeah. I already have one in mind. It was my first end table that I had made, like probably my first real, what I would call a woodworking project. And I bought birch, went out and bought my first piece of like real hardwood lumber in, in the rough. And this birch was so, okay, this is, this is one of those things that's going to make you go figured or blotch, figured or blotch. <laughs> and I hit it with a dark red stain and oh my gosh, it's, it's overwhelming on the eyes. It's, it will cause eye strain and fatigue. Uh, but I was like, okay, I'm rolling with it. <laughs> and I gave it to a friend. I still have it. Yeah, I'm committed at this point. We're going forward. Uh, I, that is what I, I've got to find that picture and I will post it. See, I've, I've got one in mind, but I don't think it would work well in image because it's 12 years old and it's still sticky. <laughs> <laughs> the finish that never cures. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. See ya.